Hi, and welcome to this Word in Season. Today we'll be hearing from Pastor Justin Naidu from Zoe Community Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. The Bible says God's Word is the seed for a bountiful harvest. We pray that you will flourish as you apply the principles in the Word of God. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says to us, On the seventh day, God ended his work. And the word work is an interesting word. It is a word malaka. And the word work means ministry. It means employment. It means occupation. And all of you have some form of occupation, employment or service. But the root word of malaka is malak, which means to be an ambassador, to be a legal legal representative and a messenger. So when God went into rest on the seventh day, Adam was born on the sixth day. So man's first day was God's rest day. But when God goes into rest, he has a man to till the ground. Because up until that sixth day, there was no man to till the ground. The word till is an interesting word. It means to serve. It means to work. It means to worship. It is the word in the Hebrew, abad. So guess what? When you go to work, what are you actually doing? You are serving. You are working. But you are also worshipping. So your work is worship. Now many people ask me the question, are you in full-time Ministry and the answer is very simple. Yes, I am, and yes, you are also in full time ministry. Every single one of you, when you go to work on a Monday morning, that is an opportunity for you to deputize, for you to be a legal representative, for you to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When he did this, he entered into something called toil. When you eat of the wrong tree, you can eat of the tree of life, which is eating of Christ, or you can partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree is secular humanism. When you partake of the wrong tree, work becomes sweaty. Work becomes arduous. It becomes laborsome. But when you eat of Christ, our work becomes service and worship unto the Lord. Now, when you look at Cain and Abel, the first set of siblings on the earth, Abel, in Genesis chapter 4, the Bible tells us, brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And in Genesis 4, 16, it says, or we'll read verse 5, Cain also brought his offering, but the Lord did not respect his offering. You can read and see Cain was angry and his countenance fell. Cain brought an offering that was not respected because it was not a first fruit offering. Cain's work was not viewed as worship and service unto God. And this leads him to murder It brings him to the place where he becomes angry and he is just working of the sweat of his brow. You see, you might not physically do it, 
but in your workplace in the marketplace there's lots of slander there's lots of malicious attack on character there's lots of jealousy that's what Cain had and Cain had forgotten that he was the firstborn and the firstborn son has a fiduciary duty he has a responsibility to protect the rest in his family work became competition rather than a function that brought service unto god what is the result the result was cain was expelled from the presence of god verse 16 says then cain went out from the presence of god if you read on you will find what took place with cain that when cain left the presence of god he became very successful he built cities so you can become successful but outside of the presence of god and everything you build will live and die in your generation you will have no kingdom value joseph understood his work was worship he went through accusations he went through many trials but his attitude remained the same that my work is worship unto the lord God always uses people who are workers to be his representatives. Jacob was working for 20 years in Uncle Laban's house. Samuel served in the temple. Peter, James and John were fishing. Joseph was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. Your work is service unto God. You see we compartmentalize our lives. Monday is church day. We worship on Monday. On Sunday we sing nice songs your favorite name is father and monday we start to swear we start to behave badly because you see a compartment there's work and there's church but we were having a nice discussion a few weeks ago at a table uh, a lunch table where we were defining what is worship worship is not slow songs that's a good place to say amen worship is not music Worship is any act that gives expression to our love for Christ. So when I show up at work on a Monday morning and I now want to from this place deputize on behalf of my father and represent him as a legal representative as a messenger. So when I open up my mouth, I begin to configure that environment by the words that I speak. Guess what? My work is becoming worship. for the hebrew mind it was not about the remuneration it was about the representation this week i was chatting to a young man and his salary was doubled by a company and he said to me i'm not taking it i said what just think about your salary being doubled and you say no to it because he understood that where he was god was using him as a representative he said i won't leave unless god speaks to me and he's only 33 years old the bible says in proverbs 12 he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding but let's go very quickly on what determines or what influences the way we labor number one is being sent Many people don't understand an apostolic mandate that must come with you being in the marketplace. 
It can be a simple prayer on a Sunday morning. That's why these gatherings can't be treated lightly. It is a sending, commissioning gathering. We are not just coming here and sitting on these plastic chairs and singing songs and going, no, it is a place where we are downloaded with grace to function effectively through the week. So you are being sent like Joshua, like Ruth. Ruth had no chance of being in the lineage of Jesus. Moabite culture comes into a covenantal relationship with Naomi and boom, everything changes. Number two, after being sent, it is the yoke. And Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. To be yoked means to be joined. Who and what you are joined to will determine how you labor. Firstly, you must be joined to Christ. And, but also, like Elisha, you must know how to destroy the yokes, the implements of your trade, and be yoked to a father. So the yoking determines how we labor. The food determines how we labor. You are what you eat. Doctrine determines practice. What you are taught determines what you do. And most often, we are indoctrinated by secular human thinking. And Jesus said this, do not labor for the food that perishes. And he went on to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. The next thing that determines how you will labor is sight. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. When you go to work, you must lift up your eyes. Gain an eternal heavenly perspective of this thing that is called work. Then lastly, a rhema determines how you function and how you labor. Simon Peter had toiled all night and caught nothing. But Jesus gives him an instruction and he says to Jesus, nevertheless at your word I will let down the net. Jesus was trained in carpentry, he was not trained in fishing. But Simon chose to believe the one who had intimacy with the heavens rather than to rely on his own knowledge of the seas. The rhema of God's word, a dabar word, will determine how you will function. In Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah is a prophet who is prophesying from the debris of Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the holy city was invaded by Babylon. And there is a new Jerusalem in the New Testament which is the church. And the church has also been invaded by Babylon. So Jeremiah is weeping, he's crying, he's known as the weeping prophet. He's sitting in this place that was once the hub of spiritual activity and he's crying out to God and he's weeping and he's giving them direction. And this is what happens in Jeremiah chapter 20. The Bible says now, this is a beautiful name. Now Pashur, I don't know whether that's Hindi or what it is. But Pashur, the son of Ima, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of God. Watch this man's occupation. He is priest and also chief governor. What a beautiful position to hold. A position of influence. And the Bible says 
He heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Now you'll have to go to Jeremiah 19 to see what Jeremiah was saying to them about the ruin that was going to come. Verse 2. Then Pashur struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks. You know, stocks are a prison cell where your hands are chained and your ankles are chained. You can't move. He places Jeremiah in the stocks. The governor is doing this. In the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Verse 3 says, And it happened on the next day that Pashu brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, Look at this prophet. I wish we had men of God who will speak like this today. Not afraid to tell the governor where to jump off. The Lord has not called your name Pashur, but Magor Misabib. That's a Russian name. Pashur meant freedom. Magor Masabib means terror on all sides. You can use the resource God gave you to liberate and bring people into freedom or you can be one that brings people into a place where there's terror all around. Your view of your job is so important. For thus says the Lord, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Verse 5, Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce, precious things, and the treasures of the king of Judah I will give into the hands of the enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die, and there you shall be buried. You and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. How many of you heard of this guy called Pashur in the Bible? It's a very interesting thing that we see a character by this name of Pashur. But Pashur was duplicit or compromised in dealing with the affairs that was entrusted to him. And what this did was it created a very strange and uncomfortable relationship between him and the prophet. Pashur did not view his work as worship. Now I want to show you what happens when you don't view your work as worship. Pashur had a self-centered worldview. Much like the selfie generation that we live in today. This self-centered worldview of greed and conceit was based on self-promotion, self-sufficiency, self-reliance and self-righteousness. Wow. Sounds like a generation we live amongst. His preoccupation was with his own welfare rather than the people of God and the community he was meant to serve. This holy nation stoops to this place of deceit and hypocrisy and Pashur, who had the authority and the position to deal with issues of morality, he did nothing. Even when the prophet Jeremiah released this scathing attack on the leadership, this man showed no remorse. 
Pashur turned people's joy into mourning. He turned their delight into despair because he failed. He failed to configure his faith into his work. You know what he did? He did not encourage dependence on God. He did not live up to his name. He shows great disdain for the words which the prophets spoke. When work is not worship, we can become another Pashur. The Pashur life is a life that is created and designed to impress, to intimidate others, and to show people how sophisticated he was. You are not created to impress others. You are created to express the love of Father. You are created to express the image of God. To Pashur, it mattered who was number one. <laughs> How many of you have people like that at work? I'll tell you, we've got people like that in church. It matters who is number one, who's on the top, who gets to speak, who gets to deliver. When work becomes worship, the emphasis is on the people entrusted to our care. Even those who are your peers. And our task is to primarily represent the Father. You know in Jeremiah chapter 19, what Pashur does, he withdraws himself from corporate gatherings. And this corporate gathering took place in a very interesting place. It was called Tophet. And Tophet was a very interesting place in the scriptures. Jeremiah called them together and he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to make this prophecy from this place called Tophet. Because in Tophet, they were offering their children as sacrifices. And from that environment, he declared to them the errors of their ways. He showed to them their sins. I don't call it just sins, their heinous sins and crimes. And where was Pashur, the governor? He was nowhere to be found. He doesn't see the wrongfulness of his actions. But on the other hand, if you contrast Pashur's action with a man by the name of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was not afraid to put his life on the line to rebuild a wall. If you know the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah knew that this was not going to be a fairy tale building project. He was willing to compose his mind. He was willing to bring his mind into congruency with the mind of God. He was willing to build with one hand, fight with the other, and become thick-skinned to the rebellion of God's people. Why are you working? Peshur resigned himself to pursue status and not conscientiousness. Pashur did not want to pursue dutifulness. When work is not worship, we will forsake the righteous ways of God and we will go astray. Balaam in the Bible is a classic example. Balaam knew that the nation of Israel was blessed because of the Abrahamic covenant. But he chose to patronize a man by the name of Balak because Balak was going to pay him. When work is not viewed as worship, 
we will invert success. We will invert the gains of our success. We forget that God remains the source of our success. Let me remind you, everything you are and everything you have is because of God's goodness and grace. There's nothing, nothing you can do outside of his grace. I can't preach, we can't lead, we can't get to work. Listen, if you have done well, oh no, you haven't done well for yourself. Have you ever heard that phrase? Hey, he's done well for himself. You must be able to tell people, I have not done well for myself. I have done well so that I can be a blessing to others. So this man called Peshur inverts. Now, many of you would have heard this word inverter for the last few weeks and months. To invert something means to reverse in position. It means to turn it inward. You change to the opposite or the contrary. Isn't this what we do? Like King Jeroboam. Jeroboam came into prominence because of God's grace and goodness. But he resorted to carnal means to sustain himself. And to make sure he, he maintains his kingship. Let me say this. God grants you grace to come into dominion, rulership, kingship. He allows you grace to be promoted and gives you all the stuff. And we invert the gains of success. Every qualification you have. Every job that came into your hand. Every promotion. Every rand. Every cent. All that I have is because of his goodness. And my task as a son of God is to represent my father to a fallen world. Oh God help us. Pashur was rejecting godly wisdom. And that's what happens to many people. They become inflexible of heart. Pashur didn't choose, chose not to heed the warnings of the prophet. Cyril dealt with this a few weeks ago when he dealt with the spirit of greed. And the rich young fool ran with great excitement. Luke chapter 12, you can read about it. When he became wealthy, he wanted to build bigger barns to accommodate his plentiful harvest. But that in itself showed a bit of arrogance of securing his harvest by using natural means. That rich fool in Luke chapter 12 thought that his material wealth would be the answer for all of life's questions. And he thought that his material wealth would make him invincible. Many people desire to become wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. But many people want to become wealthy to remain in a sort of euphoric state that's going to insulate you from all the hopelessness of this life. Let me say this to you as God's servant today. Let me say this to you as Jeremiah speaking to you. Don't confuse comfort with fulfillment. And don't monetize everything in life. It's a seller moment. I speak to the environment of Santon. Because God wants to bless us. 
God wants to make us mega wealthy. But what are you going to do with your wealth? What are you going to do with your riches? Ecclesiastes 4, verse 7 and 8. Here's the wisest man of that time writing. He says, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone. You know, I like to write the Bible in slangs. You know, I'll write that. There is one ace ball. Without companion. You could write it in slang. Without companion. Because listen, some people don't understand English. So you've got to talk to them where they're at. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to his labors. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches. A very key part. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asked this question. For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. What am I working for? What am I striving for? You see, you can work by the sweat of your brow or according to this verse, you can labor by the light that is in your eyes. I'll elaborate on that just now. Here is this man. He is sweating. He is losing his family. He is losing his companions. Why? He is controlled by the spirit of mammon. He isolates himself. He seeks his own desires. He labors for things that perish. The Lord Jesus spoke to us about a food that does not perish. The Bible says the eye is the lamp of the body. In Matthew chapter 6, we'll read Matthew chapter 6 verse 22 and I'll read it on contextually to verse 24. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Watch the context, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either you will, strong word, hate the one, love the other. Or you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God is not comparing himself to Satan. Ooh, ouch. There's a comparison there made between God and mammon. So when you arise on Monday morning and get to work, what are you serving for? Are you serving to be a representative or are you serving because you want more and more of this thing that is called mammon? But all of it revolves around the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. Our eyes are motivated by what we see. And if your eye is not full of light, that means your eye has no value system. We will spend on things that have no eternal value. You will never honor God. You will never honor His word. The eye determines the movement of your body. The eye is the window of the soul. 
If you look at the context of that scripture, to ensure that you serve God as your master, you must ensure that your eye is full of light. The problem we have today, there's not enough light in the eye. <laughs> now what you got to do is, you got to increase the measure of light in your eye if you don't increase the measure of light in your eye, you will always be motivated by mammon and not by the will and plan and purposes of God. Who is your master? Who is controlling you? Is your work truly worship? How is your eye? See, on a Sunday morning, as we come to church, the word is a lamp and a light. We're increasing the amount of light in your eye. Some of you are in Bible study on Monday or Tuesday, the light levels are increasing. When you get to Saturday prayer, the light levels are increasing. When you read and study the Bible, when you begin to listen to the word of God, light levels are increasing. Matthew chapter 20 from verse number 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, very important, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Verse number five. Again he went out about the sixth hour, again important time, and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive. The marketplace is the place of business, public transactions, and when you look at it very carefully, there's an operating system. And if you read verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like. This is a kingdom parable. And the kingdom of heaven is being compared to a landowner that is looking for laborers, workers in the vineyard. Now, he went out firstly early in the morning. The landowner goes out early in the morning. And you would have seen the early in the morning, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. And I'm going to compare all those times to the different seasons of God and also begin to bring it into current context of how you should labor in the kingdom. The first time was early in the morning. We'll call that 600 hours. It is early in the morning. He went out to hire laborers early in the morning. Early in the morning, this time is the fourth watch of the night. It is the break of day. And he goes out when Jesus at the same time was walking on water. In Ruth chapter 3, Ruth was also found at the feet of Boaz early in the morning. Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 took Isaac and went early in the morning. The early in the morning laborer is one who operates in faith. 
When you go to work, you are operating in faith. Now, this is a laborer who can be obedient to offer Isaac on the altar. People trust God and have faith for very small things. They have faith for a car and faith for a house. That's something we can ask West Bank. They can help us. This is not just faith to trust God for something. This is faith that is in total obedience to the instructions of God. Where the journey of faith must bring you to total obedience. Every worker, you as a worker, every laborer must have the characteristics of obedience to hear God and to obey God. That means, let me say how you labor. You can build like Noah, you can build an ark in the midst of opposition. If you can face Goliath with a sling and a stone. You can see fruit when others see giants. You can stand in a fire because I have faith. And the fourth man will show up in my fire. Number one is faith early in the morning. Now, when you understand the third hour, the third hour is not 3 a.m. The third hour was 9 in the day. And this third hour is a very interesting hour because Peter stood up with the 11 in Acts, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, it is only the third hour of the day. What had happened, the Holy Spirit was poured out and people were thinking the people that, that were there were drunk. But in the third hour, here is Peter standing up and saying, they are not drunk. These people are filled with the Spirit. The laborer that goes out in the third hour is a Spirit-led worker. You cannot work without the Holy Spirit working in you. People have had a very primitive, obsolete view of the Holy Spirit as someone that just shows up in church and you give you a few goosebumps and you laugh. No, the Holy Spirit wants to be involved in every microscopic detail of your life. More so when you show up at work on the Monday morning, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Wisdom. He's called the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of understanding. So when you show up and everybody's so afraid because the company is going through a restructure, you have the helper with you. And you can keep saying to yourself, Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of might. And suddenly there are problems that get thrown on your desk and you don't know how to handle it. You say, Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of wisdom. Give me wisdom. Suddenly there's a download from heaven. It's a deluge that comes upon you and you are a laborer functioning in the third hour. This is a spirit-led life. We relegated the move of the Holy Spirit to two hours on a Sunday morning. No, God wants to be involved in everything we do. So when you show up on the third hour, God will work through you. Look at David. David was skillful. He was a mighty man of valor. He was prudent in speech. The next hour is called the sixth hour. And that is noonday. It is midday. So the laborers are being sent out and they go out at midday. In John chapter 4, there was this woman who was at the well. Many of you know the story. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Sixth hour is the hour when you, when you labor with prophetic insight. You need to labor with prophetic insight and foresight. Now many people don't understand this, but the laborer must be able to have foresight into their labors. How do you have foresight into your labors? You internalize God's word through a prophetic voice and that voice will direct you. Foresight. One of the biggest problems of this generation that we live in is people lack foresight. Let me bring it to you in, in your domestic terms. You find a girl, you must have foresight 50 years from now to see how you're going to be sitting under that tree and walking with a walking stick. Let me bring it to you in the marketplace. You want to labor, you've got to have prophetic foresight. Elon Musk. He saw something out of this world with Tesla. Because right now you can't start your own car brand and have mechanical or combustion engines. You've got to have prophetic foresight to say the world is moving electric. When you are laboring, have foresight. Paul the apostle had foresight when he got onto the boat in Acts chapter 27. He said, men, I perceive this journey will end in disaster. See, if you don't have foresight, if you don't have prophetic insight into what's taking place, you will labor in spheres that are beyond your jurisdiction. See me, I know nothing about cooking. My wife is nodding her head. That is not my jurisdiction. So tomorrow, if I start a takeaway, I will not make it. My prophetic insight will be, I will buy food from the next show and put it there and let, sell it after the people. But I can't do it. Some of us have this pie in the sky dream about things. You've got to have insight, foresight into what you're doing. The sixth hour. Noah had foresight. See, when you are working as a laborer, you must have foresight. The next hour, and we're moving quickly, there's a lot to share. It's 3 p.m. And again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He's bringing laborers in. And the ninth hour, if you look at it from the scriptures, is when Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. Every one of you, as a person who's working and laboring, you must understand the value of kingdom prayers. There must be prayers made like the Son of God. When Elijah stood on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal, Elijah's prayers caused rain to fall.
Many people, like Pashur, function under the master of Baal in the kingdoms of this world. You know what he did? He didn't just pray. Elijah just didn't pray 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18. Read about it. What does he do? He digs the trench. He prepares the altar. He sets the wood and places the sacrifices before making the prayer. We pray to Christ, but we also pray from Christ. We pray to him, we pray from him, and we pray, when we pray from him, prayer falls and consumes the sacrifice. Are you praying over your labors? Or are you just going there sitting all day? Or are you just working behind your computer and just, hey, let this thing go through, let this day go, can't wait for Friday, Pusa Thursday, long weekend. No, you must be very excited when you show up at work because you are prayed and you are ready for that environment to receive the Son of God. When they see you coming, they must start to sing, here comes the... Oh, Allah. They must be able to say, here comes the Son of God. Here comes one who can configure this environment. The last hour is the 11th hour. And I want to read this to you. From Matthew 20 verse 6. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And said to them, why have you been standing idle all day? There are people who are standing idle. They are idle in the kingdom of God. They have the skill of the marketplace, yet they are lazy and useless within the kingdom of God. Don't be employed in the marketplace, but unemployed in the kingdom of God. Anybody heard about the 11th hour, that line that we use? This fellow, he always comes at the 11th hour, man. This child does everything, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, mommy, we've got a project. This is what the 11th hour labor is. This is what 11th hour is about. And you must remember, everyone who was laboring that day was laboring for the same wages. People were getting upset because imagine a guy came in at the 11th hour, he got paid the same wages as the person who started early in the morning. And the people got upset, but the landowner said, you agreed to work this day. It's my prerogative. If I pay the 11th hour worker one denarius, and I pay you one denarius who started early in the morning, you agreed to it. But this is the 11th hour laborer. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple. This man went to Pilate, asked for the body, and Pilate commanded the body be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean cloth, laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. This was taking place at the 11th hour. The 11th hour laborer understands the urgency of the hour. This is the spirit of Joseph of Arimathea. What Joseph of Arimathea did was, he took the body of Christ down from the cross and he wrapped it in linen. He put it into a new tomb. This is a person who wants to see the body of Christ raised in glory. What are you laboring for? What are you working for? Will everything you have built and worked for 
live and die with you in your generation. When you make work worship, you will understand the third hour. You will understand firstly early in the morning that I work by faith. The third hour to be led by the Spirit. You will understand the sixth hour that I have to labor with prophetic insight. Everything you do, you must see the end in sight. You've got to look at it as the ninth hour with prayer. You've got to allow for, the, for everything that you, that you are doing to be bathed in prayer. I don't want you to just work for money. How, how foolish will it be just to work for money? Waste our time month after month, just cycle 24th, 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 31st, 15th, whatever day you get paid. And get excited because it's payday and then line up at McDonald's. Oh, I pray today God will help us. When you show up tomorrow morning, they'll say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When you show up at your workplace, you are not just operating as one without grace, but you are sent into that marketplace. And no, forget about the remuneration. If it's not your business, work like it's your business. Give it your 110%. Because if you are faithful with what is another man's, God will give you your own. Something will happen. Start to change the lens with which we labor. This is my service unto God. Let me put it, it's equal to you coming on a Sunday morning and lifting up your hands. That's how you must see it. Do it with reverential awe and reverential fear. Do it with some grace. Go back early in the morning. Start to think about this, this labor that we have. Oh Lord, help us. It's been so great having you with us. We'd love to meet you in person at our Sunday services. Please feel free to join us at 9am at 43 Lotus Street, Gallo Manor, Santon. If you'd like to access any of our free resources, get more information or sow a seed into our ministry, please visit our website on www.lifecom.co.za. That's www dot lifecomm.co.za You can also subscribe to Pastor Justin Naidu on YouTube or find Zoe Community on Facebook and Instagram. Grace and blessings to you.